Hey, Think Really Nation, thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. We've got a special guest for you that's no stranger to the podcast. We'll get to that in just a second. As we talk about the current markets and everything going on with funding and interest rates, you'll enjoy that in just a second. But I want to say a quick thank you to our podcast sponsor, which is Real Property Management. Working with the right property management company can put more money in your pocket, not less. Real Property Management provides a higher standard of property management to make sure you're maximizing the return on your investments. Experience the real difference with Real Property Management. Visit realpropertymgt.com. Our guest today is Aaron Chapman. Uh, you have been a multiple episode guest mm-hmm. now. Yes. Uh, pretty much everyone that we do on site, you've been on, and then you've also done a bunch with Abby and others. Um, and I appreciate uh, all the insight you give our, our listeners. But well, I appreciate um, you letting me on because. Yeah, it gets a little after racy the, sometimes. Yeah, after the okay. first time, it's like, man, is it, I, I don't know if there's going to be a second. <laughs> but here I am for like the eighth. Well, just so you guys know, uh, my team outside was telling him that there was no holds barred, nothing he can't say. So we'll see how much uh, editing we have to do with this podcast, but we'll, we'll go with it. Well, this may be the shortest podcast in history, if that's the case. <laughs> if you guys are going to edit. Here I thought you guys were going to just go balls out and let me just do what I wanted to do. Edit that part too. But anyways, um, all right, so let's jump into where we are today. I mean, the capital markets are crazy. Um, things are still moving. I think, that, I think that most people thought that by mid-year, things would slow down and start mm-hmm. to kind of taper off. But it seems like it's still very much undulating. Everything's moving. Um, even today, I saw that there was movement today. And so uh, I'm just kind of curious to know what your thoughts are on the current market, and is it going to be just turbulent for the times to come? I, I can't imagine it being anything but turbulent because okay. you've got basic redefinition of everything happening right now. You've got an administration trying to make it look like they're actually doing something when it's we're doing the exact opposite for our economy, but reporting differently. Okay. And they've convinced the, all the media outlets to report in the way that they want it defined. Mm-hmm. You know, from the very beginning of the Federal Reserve, not the beginning of the Federal Reserve, but for the longest term, time since they've been tracking CPI, they've been redefining CPI. It's mm-hmm. probably one of the classic cases. Right. And when you look at, you know, uh, I don't r- even know. Real quick. Tell, tell our audience what CPI is. Okay, so you have the Consumer Price Index, which by what it's, what it's labeled as would make you think that they're tracking certain things, mm-hmm. but it's truly the most mislabeled thing in the markets, to my, in my opinion. I agree as well. Because they're claiming a Consumer Price Index would say, we're going to track everything that people spend money on and see where those prices are going. Yeah. But instead of that, they're tracking what they want to track that, that follows their objective. And right. what is their objective? A 2% uh, inflation, right? Mm-hmm. Do you know where that came from? Yeah, where did even 2% no, inflation no come yeah. from? It was, it was, and uh, it's, so, it's so manufactured, I don't even know that it matters anyways, right? Well, it doesn't. Mm-hmm. It was actually a Fed meeting mm-hmm. in uh, 1996. Okay. So you had Greenspan in the room, and you also had mm-hmm. Janet Yellen in the room. Now, mm-hmm. Greenspan was the chairman. Yellen was not. Uh, she was there as a participant with the sure. Board of Governors. But he had indicated that they were trying to have a target for inflation. Everybody said, what is your target? Mm -hmm. We said, it should be zero, right? Right. We want to have zero inflation people. People need to be able to to know what their future is going to be like. Sure. Well, then it was proposed, like, well, we don't even know how to measure inflation. Mm -hmm. So since we don't have an accurate way of measurement, I would, and this came from Yellen, she goes, I would propose 2%. Well, then it went around the room and everybody decided 2% would be a good number to target Let's vote, for. That's it. Huh? Let's just well, vote for that. Just yeah. use 2% because we have no idea how to right. really calculate exact sure. inflation. Well, then, of course, more dialogue went on. And then on the very, I think it's towards the, I don't know if it's the very last page. I think it's like in the last 10 pages of the transcripts. Uh, Greenspan warned. He goes, if this gets out of this room, it would cause much greater harm hmm. 
than good. So we need to keep this, this because information the, locked Because up. of the um, general population and their fear with inflation or because they're targeting it and it gives the Federal Reserve a benefit because of that 2% inflation? Like, well, why, why would it cause such mass turmoil? On, I honestly, I believe the reason it caused turmoil in his mind it would cause turmoil is mm -hmm. you're giving too much information okay. into the inner workings of how the Fed works. And okay. people are gonna lose faith in sure. this group of mm -hmm. supposed to be the, the greatest minds in, in, the, uh, in the financial world mm -hmm. and come to find out it was literally a dartboard exercise. Mm -hmm. Of course, though, they don't want to know. That's a 115-page document. I have sure. that document. I'll get you that document if you want it. Mm. And uh, I've I'll got trust it. you. I'll, I'll take your word for it. Well, I mean, it's fine. <laughs> if anybody wants it, just tell me, and I will show you where these things are at. And it's yeah. really interesting to consider that that's how that was created. Then you look at the Fed as a whole, right? And, and I'm not trying to crap on people at the Fed, but when you start looking at the, the those who are in charge all across the United States for the Federal Reserve, this Board of Governors, and you look at their history, the majority of them started at the Fed. Mm -hmm didn't have any external background. Right, right. Then you have a small handful of them that come from education. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a lot from of them. From education to the Fed. Sure. Or just at the Fed. Yeah. That, that, that does not tell me they understand the yeah. general economics of how things work as, a, uh, as the U.S. as a country. Yeah, I, I think it's really interesting that you're hitting on this because um, a lot of the people, like you said, yes, they come out of college and they go straight into the Fed and then they kind of like home grow their staff. Yes. And I've spent a lot of time with uh, Fed staff. Um, one in particular, uh, which I won't mention his name, but uh, out of Atlanta, um, he gave me the list of who was, you know, essentially, um, uh, who, who is, who, who, you know, are they called presidents of, of each uh, area? Is like the president of the Fed? Yeah, Atlanta, yeah, the, the president. presidents of the, those yeah. areas, and they were the board of governors, they yeah. were all those presidents. And then you have, you have the presidents of the banks, right, mm -hmm. that, that also participate. But he was going through the, um, the criteria of what it took to become a president um, of the, you know, I guess it would be regional Federal Reserve. And he, most of them came from the educational space. It was big um, educational institutions that were known for finance, right? So it was Yale and it was Princeton. Um, and they had some sort of an educational background and then they moved up into. So what's interesting is, is you're essentially allowing theorists, uh, not practitioners, to mm -hmm. mess with the very economic foundation of the country, which is fascinating. Well, when you think about people who have a degree in something, mm -hmm. right, and you sit down and you talk to them about that. I have a, love you, Daryl, but I'm not trying to crap on you, buddy. He is the most tenured professor at ASU, mm -hmm. and he is a professor of um, electrical engineering. Mm -hmm. So I thought, I've got this guy next door who's yeah. a badass in electrical stuff. I had this idea. So mm -hmm. I went over and sat down and said, hey, I've got this idea. I want to run it by you. I started getting into the idea and the, the how to assemble this particular thing. He's like, whoa, 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 hang on a second. He goes, I, I understand theory. Yeah. So <laughs> like, what, what do you mean theory? Right. And he, and he couldn't explain to me what theory was when it comes to electrical engineering. Sure. It's like it either you either plug the shit in and flip the switch or you don't. Right. Right. That I don't understand how can you theorize about <laughs> yeah. this. Yes. And I know he has to do like a four or five hundred page thesis every single year at mm -hmm. the end of the year. Sure. How can you create new data mm -hmm. on something that's pure theoretical? Doesn't exist. So yeah. then when you're talking about a person who gets an education and that comes out with a master's degree in, in electrical engineering, they have a master's degree in the theories created by the person who taught them. Mm -hmm. So if you're talking about people going into the Federal Reserve that have a degree in, under, in economics based upon who taught them economics, mm -hmm. who never practically applied economics in sure. the private sector, right. who don't know the outcome of things, 
that's who's running what we're doing. And what's really interesting is when you're talking with real estate investors, because I finance real estate investors, we did a plug here, sure. Security National Mortgage, Aaron Chapman, looked at some bitch up, AaronChapman.com. Um, when you're talking about <laughs> financing- Aaron B. Chapman? Well, Aaron, I always want to know what the B yeah. stands for, but it's okay. We can go with, yeah. I don't want to go with Bravo, <laughs> right? But uh, Bert, my dad's my dad's name Bert, so okay. my, my parents thought it really, really awesome to have my initials ABC. Okay, they expected me to be very, very unintelligent, I guess. Yeah. And so if I'm going to figure you out how to I, you know, I get okay. my ABC down real quick. Um, so we're financing the, the real estate investor, helping them get into the single families, duplex, triplex, fourplex, sure. up to eight units, 10 units, I think, right. uh, or blanket loans, you name it. We're doing people's yeah. buying their house to live in, all that. Well, when you start considering what people think is a good move to make, they're talking to their attorney, they're talking to their CPA, they're talking to other people, real, realtors, on how they should invest in real estate, sound theories, mm -hmm. but it does not work in practical application. So the benefit they have working with us is I've been doing this since 1997. I do you know, about 1,300 transactions a year. I see where thousands of people are making decisions, mm -hmm. where thousands of people are succeeding, thousands of people are failing, and what they do to pivot in those failures to continue sure. to be successful. So there's a practical way to do things, and there is a completely impractical but great theory way sure. of way of doing things. And that, the reason I bring that up is I've gotten to see how all those theories from your attorney and your CPA, that all are sound theories from the perspective of an attorney mm -hmm. or the perspective of a CPA, but does not work in the practical real estate world when you're dealing with, with tenants and you're sure. dealing with the markets and you're dealing yeah. with all these things. You have to take a different approach. Yeah. And if you've not been on the ground getting your hands dirty, you don't know where those yeah. things are going to hit. And unfortunately, the people up in those ivory towers, if you will, they have no clue. I oftentimes will defend um, the brilliance and uh, the educational background of those in the Federal Reserve. I don't think the people that sit and lead the Federal Reserve are stupid people. Not I think at all. they're actually brilliant people. I think it, I, and that's the point I, and the distinction I typically make is that it's just, there's a massive difference between a theorist and a practitioner or a tactician, right? Like someone who actually can go to, it's what you just said, right? Like mm -hmm. a lawyer can tell you how to structure it all day long. Someone's actually gonna have to go put it practically into place to tell you if it worked, right? Like it's, it's the difference between like lead metrics, what's about to happen and lag metrics, what actually did happen, right? Yeah, Huge I mean, we, I did rescue for the sheriff's office for 10 years, right? And we would have a plan before going into the field. Mm -hmm. I right, would sit down, do a quick little briefing. Here's what the situation is. Here we got this person down here or a Jeep rolled or whatever, we'll board the helicopters, get flown in. But as the person in charge, boots on the ground, when I get dropped or I fly overhead and I look mm -hmm. at the scene, plans change on the fly because sure. the, the information changes, right? right. And you, if you're not a good tactician or a good, you don't have enough experience on the ground and you follow exactly the plan, you could literally get everybody killed following the plan precisely. Sure. You get on the ground, you adjust on the ground and to have a successful outcome and get people out. And then you come back and you debrief and say, hey, we did this, 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 this. Our intel was bad here, intel was bad here. Our intel was correct, but the way to apply that was incorrect. Sure. So what you're just saying is, yes, brilliant people that understand certain things and certain mechanics are needed. Mm -hmm. But that's just enough to get started and get into the field. Once you sure. get in the field, you've got to know how to adapt on the fly or right. people die right. or people lose their life savings or people lose money. Now we've got a, a, an economy that's being operated by people that are trying to stay in power and they're, they're offering and they're influencing data to come out. Right now the jobs reports that keep coming out, completely yeah. crazy that yeah. we've got the house that right. I, I know people losing jobs. Mm -hmm. I know people getting their hours cut. 
everywhere I go. Mm -hmm. But how is it all of a sudden we're seeing hundreds of thousands of jobs created, but then at the same right. time now the Fed's like, well, if the jobs are going crazy, we're gonna have to step on this even more. Sure. We're gonna have to raise rates even more. We're gonna have to crush this even harder because right. now inflation's gonna get out of control. We're gonna right. have more money going after fewer products. Then you have, in the background, you start knowing, hmm, some of the guys who are running the biggest banks in the world, like, hey, keep raising rates, because the more you raise rates, the more it kills the little banks, the more sure. people we suck in, right. the bigger our bank becomes. Yeah. I mean, I'm not one here to bitch conspiracy theory, but man, there is people that are working their asses off to build it bigger yeah. at the expense of all of us. There always will be. You know, like, I love living in a capitalist society. 100%. Because it provides us all great opportunity. However, there is a downside to some pieces of capitalism, and that is when, when the nation, you know, and it's, it's all the monopoly laws, right? Like, mm -hmm. at some point we realize that capitalism can turn into monopoly, and at some point- Which when becomes some, fascism. Which becomes fascism, right? Like, and so, like, now you have a dictator sitting on top because there's too much control, right? Mm -hmm. And so there is a time period when capitalism overcomes this like leverage point that turns into a dictatorship, right? Like it can turn into a society where there is no choice, there is no chance, right? Um, so you said that you believe that we'll kind of always be in this turbulent time for at least a, a period of time. Why is that? Is it because of the underlying need or is it greed or whatever it is that's driving it, but now it's gonna constantly mess with these rates? I mean, and so now the rates are always gonna be suspect to change for the immediate future? Well, rates are definitely suspect to change. Uh, and I think that people need to understand what drives interest rates. Right. Now, there's various different types of interest rates, right? So there's the rates that are set by the Fed, sure. which is the rates to the banks, right? right. The Fed is the, is the bank's bank, yeah. right? And that's just for the banks to operate yeah. uh, on. And I think that's an important note. It's like oftentimes if you're a real estate investor and you're watching, oh, the Fed just raised rates. What they're talking about is the amount of, of uh, return that they're expected on the dollar that they send to banks. I just, it's really, really Correct. important that people understand that delineation. Yeah, because when the Fed takes that capital and they'll lend it out to smaller banks for them to do business, and then of course there's a, there's a certain point they have a different arrangement on paying it back, that's where that rate comes in. And then of course that affects short-term rates and all right. that kind of stuff. Then there is the people following the 10 years saying, mm -hmm. well, we're gonna follow the 10 years because the 10 year note, the treasury, if it goes up, interest right. rates usually drop. If it goes right. down, interest rates usually go up. Well, the reason they're doing that is because it's a long-term bond. Mm -hmm. right. And the actual driver of interest rates is the mortgage-backed security, which is a long-term bond, but it's not generally published. Mm -hmm. The 10 years published, the treasury's all over the place, widely published sure. all over every news outlet. Mm -hmm. So people follow that mm -hmm. because it's a long-term bond. If it goes up, bonds are typically going up. If it's going mm -hmm. down, bonds are typically going down. So it's showing an influx of capital or uh, I guess an outflux. <laughs> I guess we yeah, could use that sure. word. Um, so then if you look at the mortgage-backed securities, it tracks it pretty closely, but not always the same. So I follow the mortgage-backed securities itself. Mm -hmm. what, how much money is going into those, those uh, pools of capital? Mm -hmm. If you guys watch the big short, you can see the, the start of the mortgage-backed security with Lou Ranieri from Solomon Brothers. So money going in means there's more capital available to lend, therefore it gets cheaper, the rate goes down, because sure. then people use that capital. Money goes out, the rates go up. And then sometimes it gets to the point where nobody wants to lend at all. They just won't want to get in it whatsoever. That's right. what happened during the crash of 2008. And what's interesting right now, um, there is a large group of people that are saying, rates are gonna come down. We're gonna get back to a normal market. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna ask you, Eddie, what do you think is a normal market? Yeah, I, I have a really hard time answering that question because like, even if you look at where we are today and you go back to Obama's first four years in office, like we're actually parallel with where we were back then, right? So. I struggle because if you look at kind of like, a, if you look at the wave, the curve, 
it's like we may actually be at normal if you go all the way back to 1897 and our and our interest rates that have been published since 1897, right? So like, I I don't I don't know. We might be at normal, you know. We actually are slightly better than normal okay. presently. Okay. So when you look back at that whole thing I was sure. just talking about. We've got a point in 2008 where we had the, the financial crash, affecting the entire planet, right? And the effect of course interest rates, sure. affected housing, the biggest mess we've ever seen in housing in history. Then you have the Fed saying, we're gonna do something. So November 25th, 2008, they announced quantitative easing. Right. That's a big, big word of saying, hey, we're gonna take a bunch of money from the treasury, we're gonna throw it into the markets mm -hmm. and bring the rates down because we need available capital for sure. the market. We need people to buy houses, right? Right now, we've literally had the market go to a screeching halt, affected everybody. So they dumped in between January 1st of 2009 till March 31st, 2010, $1.25 trillion over that window of time. So, but the day they announced that, and I have it marked on all my charts, I published this all over the place, the day they announced that, a ton of money jumped into those pools from private mm. places, right? Whether sure. it be hedge funds or whatever, right. whether it be other um, They essentially were whatever. like, we'll take the ride with you. Yeah, pensions yeah. like, hey, we're yeah. jumping in because yeah. you guys are gonna jump right. with us, we're gonna jump in too. Right. Massive jump, so a lot of influx of capital. Mm -hmm. And it's continued to go, it went up above that, bringing rates down, mm -hmm. all the way up until 2017, when the Fed says, we're gonna start tapering. Mm -hmm. The market freaked out, they called it a taper tantrum through 2018. They started putting money back in. And then you get to March 20th of 2020. What happened March 20th of 2020? Yeah, COVID. The, COVID hit, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, March 20th is when the Fed dumped in $1 trillion between March 20th and March 30th. Mm -hmm. In 10 days, yeah. the Fed influenced the market that much. And our interest rates went to an all-time low, and they stayed there until the, I think it was October of 2021. Mm -hmm. Then they announced the, the tapering, and they were not going to back off. It's called the quantitative tightening. Mm -hmm. That's when the market just dropped, mm -hmm. and our interest rates more than doubled almost within a year. Actually, sure. about, almost tripled in about a year. And everybody's freaking out. It's like, oh, it, you know, it, mm -hmm. we just got to a normal place. We crossed over that line mm -hmm. just in the last month. I believe it was May, I don't remember when it was, May 15th, May 20th, or the last two months. We crossed mm -hmm. over this line. So if you've tracked those, those trends and you track those charts, it shows a, a moving averages. You know, it'd be the, like the 20-day moving average, 30-day moving average, 40, 50, 200, uh, 100, and 200. The 200 day moving average is acted as a ceiling for traders. Mm -hmm. So bond traders will look at certain metrics where sure. they're not going to buy in or, or sell out. Every time the markets hit that 200 day moving average, they'll sell out within one to two days. Mm. The longest I seen to stay above that was, was a three day window and they sold out. Mm. That 200 day moving average crossed over that line established in, on uh, November 25th, 2008 just in the middle of May this, this year. Interesting. When it crossed there, that, in my opinion, set the Was ceiling the, yeah. for that market, therefore the floor for interest rates going forward. Sure. And that's where we're going to be below that in those markets, therefore interest rates higher than that date mm -hmm. going forward, sure. period. Yeah. So what does that tell me? It's like, well, if you look back on history, you just talked about history in the 1800s, I go back to 1971. That's when we started tracking the 30-year fixed. Mm -hmm. The average rate for the average consumer from 1971 till the end of 2009, right when, or the beginning of 2009, so end of 2008, when the Fed actually started quantitative easing, was 9.1%. Mm. That's for the average homeowner, 9.1%. Mm -hmm. Investors are always going to pay sure. one to one and a half percent higher. Then you go from 1971 till the end of COVID, till the uh, end of quantitative easing, mm -hmm. the average rate was 7.75%. Mm -hmm. So. We still didn't have much lower than what sure. we have today, right. even at, when they were dumping in trillion dollars, right. 8.9 trillion total. 
Then you look right now. So you, we just talked about the Obama era. Mm-hmm. So I went back and looked, like, when was the last time we touched this point? Yeah. Definitively in the market, in all markets. I'm looking at the right. the, uh, the treasuries. I'm looking at the uh, the MBSs. All these things. Mm-hmm. It was in 2007. Okay. So we go from 2000. I got in the business in 1997. So I'm going to start at 2000, right after, right around the dot com bubble, mm-hmm. and then you get to right at the beginning of 2008. Sure. Average interest rate was 6.45 percent mm-hmm. for your average homeowner. Sure. During that window, I believe that's the window we're going to ride for a little while. That means if it's 6.5 percent for your average homeowner. Seven and a half to eight percent for a real estate investor. Mm-hmm. Settle into that. Now, a lot of people are freaking out. It's like, how am I going to cash flow? Right. It doesn't matter if you right. cash flow. Right. You will cash flow because we're in an inflationary environment. Right. We continue to raise rates. Yeah. Or excuse me, continue to raise rents. And where I think people miss the greatest asset in this is in the leverage itself. Mm-hmm. So if we're doing a house, you're going to buy a single family residence for two hundred grand, mm-hmm. and you're going to put twenty percent down. How much are you putting down? That's uh, 40,000. 40,000 bucks. Yeah. And let's say you're putting 10,000 in cost between lender, title, appraisal, all that sure. stuff. So you're at 50,000 invested, right? Yep. Well, you're going to finance 160,000 because mm-hmm. you put down 40. Now, what I tell people is if you want to be successful as an investor, you just got to find a property and keep it reasonably rented for the entire time you own it and you can raise rents on it. Mm-hmm. So, and a good property manager. You do that, you'll be very successful. Sure. Why? Because if somebody else is paying off your mortgage, mm-hmm. that equates to an average of $5,300 a year. Mm-hmm. You divide that into your 50 grand, you're making 10.6% on your money just right. by having somebody paid on the mortgage. Right. And then if you have a market that only appreciates at 2.5%, 2.5% of 200 grand is 5,000. Mm-hmm. That's another 10% on your investment. That's mm-hmm. 20 plus percent right. consistently mm-hmm. without even pulling in cash flow and before tax benefits. That's all they really got to worry about. Sure. And we will guide them through everything else. I've got right. a calculator that shows you the time value of money. Right. When you borrow for 30 years, you don't pay back what you borrow. Right. The dollar's losing so much value so fast mm-hmm. that if you bought, you borrowed that 160,000, you'll pay 400 plus right. in actual principal and interest. But the value of those dollars, as I hand them to you, if you're my bank, every month is worth less and less sure. to the extent that I'm only giving you 152 grand over 30 years. Right. Who wins? Right. Me, the investor. Mm-hmm. We gotta play the game the way the game was built mm-hmm. for the people who are playing it right now. Sure not for the people that they are playing, if yeah. you will. Yeah. So the banking industry is set up in a way to get consumers to be consumers. Right. And as long as you play the refinance game and follow the rates game, you're going to be locked into right. them right. paying them interest. Yeah. And they're gonna to continue to win. Yeah. If you play it the way that they designed it, we win. I think it's, it is important. I mean, you, you just literally gave us so much in that last you know, three minutes for them to process. But fundamentally, they have to understand that the way that banks make money is lending, right? Mm-hmm. Like they can make you know money three ways. I grew up in the banking industry, right? And the primary way they make money is lending, and so they have to find ways to lend you money, right? The thing is, is you need to determine in your strategy, which you do for people, is when you should take that money and on which asset I should take it, right? 100%. And and so for me, um, I am a third generation real estate investor. Um, grandfather, dad, me, um, hoping my sons, you know, jump into it someday, you know, but it's like, I, I like this, uh, analogy. My dad bought his first rental properties in the eighties, right? Mm -hmm. There could not have been a worse time from an interest rate perspective to buy a rental property. If somebody was just chasing this thing that you're talking about, um, However, if you were to ask my dad today, would you ever go back and do it differently? The answer is absolutely not, right? Like in the 80s, even though he's paying a high interest rate, he had high appreciation over that time period. 
He had the ability to leverage that, uh, those properties to go get more. And it was that foundation he built in one of the worst interest rate periods in his lifetime, right? And he did it while leveraging the next, while buying more, which you know, gave him the wealth that he has today, right? And so the question you have to ask yourself is just a practical one. And that is go to every real estate investor that's been doing this for 20 to 30 years and ask them, when should I buy a real estate property? And they're gonna say yesterday. And if you can't do it yesterday, then do it today, right? Like every single time. And, and it's not so important that we get stuck into this concept of is it 6% or 7% or 8%, right? It's, a, it's exactly what you just talked about. It's understanding the fundamental properties of, pro of properties as well as the capital it takes to or to gain them mm -hmm. and what the true rate of return is on your personal cash outlay, not the actual structure of the deal itself. Really, really important. And not on the cash flow that comes in on a month-to-month -month basis. Sure. I know people are thought think about that heavily because we are in an instant gratification society. Sure. You like to see you like to hear the ding on your iPhone. Right. Right? And that's all that cash flow is. Yes, we want cash flow. I'm not saying you don't want cash flow, but you will get there eventually. We're raising, right. I can go through that exercise, I don't have sure. to right now, but you're gonna be raising rents. Within three to five years, you will right. get to the cash flow point you wanted to be right. without a problem. Where can you ever start a business in history that says, start a business because you can be successful day one? No, they've had yeah. three to five years right. of, of reserves mm -hmm. to become uh, cash flow positive. Same thing. Right. The one thing that people are so worried about is now a bad time to buy real estate because is the market gonna crash? Is real estate going to correct? Well, look at back what caused the market to crash before. What mm -hmm. caused it to correct? It caused it to correct if we had rampant capital being pushed out to people mm -hmm. who did not qualify. Sure. And we had people overbuilding. That mm -hmm. builders are going absolutely insane. Mm -hmm. Well, National, National Association of Home Builders right now, they're not building houses, they're building apartments. Right. Right? The, the other houses thing, they're building, are they're only building off of ones they already have deposits on too, which is even crazier. Exactly, things that they've already developed. Yeah, they're right. not developing new right. places, right? right? In fact, they're even walking away from developments. Right. right. We have a massive demand, it's speculated, that's five million Homes, houses yeah. are in right. demand, but we don't have it. We're short right. that right. inventory. And then, of course, you've got um, the fact that large hedge funds, they're buying it up in big swaths, right? Anything they can get their hands on. So we are a society that's becoming a very uh, subscription-based society, if you will, right? So if we have all the massive media and all the big companies trying to turn us into a subscription-based society, which means you'll never own your house, right. like, Klaus Schwab wants to tell you, you're right. gonna, you're basically, you're gonna pay a monthly fee to have your, your housing. Right. BMW tried the bullshit with their, with their car, right? Mm -hmm. We'll give you the, the, the king dingling car, but you're gonna pay the base price and you subscribe to all the features. Yep. You actually want the son of a bitch to start, pay me a fee every month, right? right? All these things. Now, <laughs> that didn't go over well, but that's, that's the aim of the right. large companies to become yep. a subscription-based society. If we are being pushed that way, you as a real estate investor can get on that and draft right. into that. Right. You're gonna have a large group. I mean, they're never gonna stop real estate investors. They're always gonna be uh, real estate investors. So get on board with that. And if you're thinking you need to time the market, that's as dumb as a star football player sitting on the sidelines, on the bench, waiting for the perfect play to get on their highlight reel. Yeah. The only people on the highlight reel have their ass on the field. Right. It's time to get on the field and start playing ball now. And it's an extremely safe place to, to yeah. play ball. It yeah. just is. And what I just saw a write-up, the top 100 markets that they're, that they're focusing on, only one has actually declined in prices, that was right. Austin, Texas, and Crazy. it wasn't that much. Crazy. Everything else is still going up. Yeah, it and, is, it, it's the fundamental supply and demand issue you just talked about. Exactly, and the other thing that people keep saying, well, man, I, uh, should I wait because fewer houses are selling? Well, we have 
half, less than half the inventory we had in 2019. Because mm -hmm. nobody's selling their house because they have right. a slow interest rate. It's the and greatest asset in the world is their low interest rate loan. Right. And the greatest asset in the world, anything, in any situation, is a long-term leverage, that 30-year fixed, right. on an asset like real estate. There yeah. is no better asset. The yeah. leverage is the asset, not the real estate. Yeah. Well, we are out of time. That went really fast. Should we do a second one? <laughs> we need to. They're, they're going <laughs> to kick me out of here. Um, why don't you do this? If, if you guys are, are, have not jumped into real estate investing, I want you to set up a call with Aaron. I want you to get with his team. If you're currently investing in real estate and you're not leveraging conventional uh, capital for real estate, you need to talk to Aaron. Um, and if nothing else, I want you to get on and watch all of the content he puts out. He puts out an email just about every other day or so. Uh, twice a week, you can go to AaronChapman.com, go to the media section, and write in there. If you can't find it, just Google Aaron Chapman. It's the only one that looks like me. Um, <laughs> in that media section, I got those videos put yeah. up, and then just go to the YouTube, subscribe to that one, you'll get it. I give you market data on how it affects you as a real estate investor from actual market data twice a week. Yeah, and it's one of the most informative pieces of information that I get to my inbox every single week. He's on it, he's always giving you data and information. Um, if nothing else, make sure you jump into that stream of content he's putting out there. Uh, but you do owe it to yourself to actually have a conversation with him and his team uh, because he's gonna help you understand these processes and leverage what you have to go gain more, which is what investing in real estate is all about. So thank you so much for being a part of the show today. Well, my pleasure. Uh, I wanna say a quick thank you to our podcast sponsor, uh, that's Real Property Management. Uh, having the right property management, which Aaron just talked about, uh, puts more money in your pocket, not less. And having them uh, on your team will help you build and scale those assets uh, so that you're not putting all your time and, and, uh, and effort into tenants and toilets. You can actually go out and do the deal structure and find capital and all of that type of stuff. So you can find out more about real property management by going to realpropertymgt.com. That's realpropertymgt.com. Before we close, uh, I also want to uh, put a big uh, plug out there. We're actually bringing the Think Realty Conference and Expo to Phoenix, Arizona, March 28th and 29th of 2024. This will be the first time uh, we've been on the West Coast uh, since before COVID. And this will be the first time we've ever came to Phoenix, Arizona with the Think Realty Conference. And uh, we want to have a big, big turnout out there. We have a lot of uh, audience out there. Many of you have asked us to come to Phoenix. We want to make sure that you show up. And so as a podcast uh, listener and viewer, uh, we want to give you a deal uh, to make sure you get to that show. Uh, if you go to thinkreally.com forward slash Phoenix, uh, you put in the code podcast. We'll give you a buy one, get one free. You can uh, bring yourself and a spouse or a business partner or a friend uh, and come check it out. I'm sure Aaron Chapman will be uh, one of the guest speakers. I'm main stage in that stuff. That's his home. So we got to <laughs> make sure we have to leverage him for that. But uh, thank you so much for being a part of the podcast. Connect with us on social. Uh, if you want to uh, let us know more of the content you want, we want to make sure we serve you. Thanks so much for being a part of the Think Really Nation. 